When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody, welcome to the Barca Blood Grinders podcast. My name is Josh. Hope everyone is having a good week. Uh, I know we are because we get to chat about some fantastic Barcelona results. Yet again, about a month ago when you and I last... Oh, I, I, let me introduce our guests. We are joined by Nick, yeah. our uh, our pal, our fellow Barca Blood Grinders writer. And we're here to talk about a few incredible Barcelona results. So Nick, how are we doing today? Doing really well, enjoying enjoying a nice international break for the first time where I can't wait for us to get back on the field. Feeling very good about everything. It's crazy. Um, let's talk about the Europa League match before we get into the uh, El Clasico. I wanted to hear some of your thoughts on this. So it was, uh, the first leg was kind of a lethargic performance. They didn't seem that intense. Xavi was furious. They come out in the second leg and a, another, like despite the fact that this is the Europa League and the stakes aren't as high, They've had to go into Italy and to Napoli and, and win, and they had to go into Turkey in a legendary environment and play well again, and they did. Pedri looked great. Aubameyang looked great. Uh, the entire squad really stepped up. What were some of your thoughts uh, of in their knockout win against Galatasaray ahead of their quarterfinal matchup with Eintracht Frankfurt? What did you think of their, yeah. their result? I think it, it was a good result, even under Xavi when they don't play as well as they should play like they did in the first leg, you don't really get worried. And even in the second leg, when they go down a goal early, you're thinking, oh, okay, that's you know, not the way you want to start a game. But the system's in place. The players look confident. They look resilient. And if anything, I think that's the theme that you get from what happened with Galatasaray. You're playing against a team. They're getting confidence. The stadium is rocking. In Istanbul, you'd think, all right, well, if you're going to get intimidated and resort back to just your inferiority complexes from the old days, this would be the time where it's going to happen. But you just stay in the game. You trust your players and the system that you have in place. And I personally wasn't nervous. Even after going down a goal, I thought they can turn this around. They're playing well. They have possession. And all it really takes is, you know, getting a response right away. And if you get an equalizer, that's when a team like Galatasaray isn't going to be able to hang around. And in the end, that's exactly what happened. So it's very nice to see a team right now that um, and that's what good teams do. You can go down a goal. Sometimes you can even get to a place where you're in such good form. You can go down two goals and still have the confidence to uh, pick up the energy, get a response, and make things happen. Yeah, and uh, that's really it. I kind of just want to talk about a Clasico the rest of the time. So Barcelona, yeah, me too. I think, uh, so they haven't won a Clasico before this since, I think, it was it 2019? Am I remembering that correctly? 
Yeah, I think they said six games, so it must have been 2019. Crazy. So a lot has happened uh, since 2019. I think coming into this match, uh, I previewed it with Managing Madrid's Matt Wilsey last week. I think both of us were a little unsure as to what was going to happen. Um, I think going into it, uh, we were both, and I, I'm interested to hear kind of what your expectations were going into it as well, but we were both unsure. We could have seen 3-1 either way. We could have seen a 2-2 draw. Uh, I don't think either of us thought that a 4-0 that felt like it was being kind, like this could have been 6-0, uh, was going to happen from Barcelona, um, but it did. What, what were your expectations before the match for Barcelona heading into the Bernabeu? Well, I'm always, uh, okay, what's the trajectory going into a game? And so it's not just, yeah, in, in any given game, anything can happen, especially when you have two really good teams. Uh, knowing that Benzema wasn't going to play, I thought that was a huge factor. And seeing that combined with the fact that Barcelona was on a roll with their form, scoring goals like three, four times, like it was just their birthright. That's just what they do. I thought I, I dared myself to like actually dream that like a big outcome was possible, but I wasn't saying that out loud to anybody. Um, but in my mind, getting a result, meaning getting the win, getting the three points, even the Bernabeu, when I heard that Benzema went down, went down, I really thought that like that was the expectation, especially because Xavi had already risen the expectations for this team and for us supporters and what we expect from them. Uh, and in the back of my mind, because if you can take down Atletico Madrid, if you can take down Athletic and all these other teams with four goals, I thought, would it be possible to do something like truly historic? Um, kind of like Luis Garcia had said in ESPN, if there's something about this team right now that has so much confidence, so much togetherness, that you could see a big result. And, uh, but I guess I have to say, even I didn't even expect that. And more than anything else, I think it was kind of the fact that Real Madrid just they got it wrong with the tactics and Barca took advantage of it. Yeah, they got it wrong. And also like this Real Madrid team is very strange to me because they're coming off the back of a, a historic win against PSG um, that saw PSG completely fumble the bag in the second half and mismanage themselves. Um, but that, that isn't good to say that Real Madrid didn't, obviously they had execution there. Like they, they did a good job of, of, of stifling PSG in the second half. Uh, Luka Modric played great in the second half. Benzema took advantage of the opportunities of the fumbling that Marquinhos mm -hmm. and Donnarumma kept giving them. Um, but it was still impressive. Like PSG are obviously a team without direction, but they're still a great team. And Real Madrid were able to, to come out on top with two legs with more goals than PSG. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to discredit Real Madrid, but like this team is... I don't know what to make of them because they're obviously like they're winning La Liga in due to the fact that Barcelona couldn't get a hold of themselves till December and January. Mm -hmm. um, but but they're still there and they're still on top by a decent amount. They're still in the Champions League. I, I, I guess I'm just confused as to how they could get it so wrong so badly. Well, I think it's to me, it is more of a credit to Barcelona than it is what Real Madrid got wrong because Barcelona's mindset and just after months of coming up with the system, finding the right people to play in that system, knowing after a while that in a game-by-game -game basis, like Chavi is going to give some very specific like, tactical instructions to players. Um, they're very just well-equipped to play in this game. Real Madrid, I think Carlo Ancelotti is a great coach. And I love a coach that'll say, I was one that got it wrong, especially when it's very clear that you were the one who got it wrong. But I think he does get credit for why Real Madrid is so steady in La Liga and why it seems like they they ran away with it as soon as like last November. Uh, because talk about like togetherness, that's a team that um, like Benzema is in the best form of his life. He's the superstar of Vinny Jr. as well, which we can talk about in a second. Like 
what Xavi got right. And to me, it starts and ends with putting Aralco on Vinny Jr. Um, but I, you know, I think it's more of a credit to Barcelona getting things right in this game because Real Madrid is very good. The PSG thing was really they had 30 good minutes and brilliance from Benzema, but PSG was the better team throughout that tie. Uh, but in this game, it was Xavi is what he was been saying all along for months. You are Barcelona. You're still the best team of the world because you still have the best talent in the world, but you got to get your mindset right. Um, and you can beat anybody. And this was the proof that everything he's been saying all this time was in fact true. I think it was a, a, a psychological, like uh, just barrier they had to get through. Yeah. And you, you brought up my next bullet point, which was Araujo as right back. Um, on Vinny Jr., uh, there's of course you know now the reports coming out you know that they want to triple his salary because you know he's on, out of contract next year. Um, why? I, I I I guess I don't even know what question to ask, but just just talk about what you saw out of Araujo on uh, Vinny Jr. and why that was such an important part of this matchup. Because if you know if they had thrown Danny Alves out there, like Danny Alves can still get around, but uh, I'm not necessarily sure that he would have been athletic enough to uh, do anything against Vinny on the right wing. Yeah, that's a, that's a chess move right there. I'm not even a chess person, but I think that's a chess move right there. I think the that idea was yeah, putting yeah. a center back at right back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you take a piece off the board. That's what I'm saying. Like if Benzema's already not in the game, then you have you have they have two spectacular players. You don't have to worry about Benzema. So then Xavi is saying, let's just take Vinny out of the game completely, as opposed to what is Danny Alves going to give you offensively versus let's put Araujo right there. Let's make sure that give him your job today is to make sure Vinny makes no impact on the game. And aside from one counterattack that you can't blame Araujo for, that's exactly what he did. And then it was, okay, well, if you don't have Vinny and if you don't have Benzema, who are like the two leading scorers on the Liga, by the way, not, uh, so that tells you how important they are to Real Madrid and to their own success. Can Real Madrid still beat Barcelona? And the answer was no. Now, I've been screaming... I, I'll, I'll, I'll be critical of Xavi because it's great to be critical of a coach when you know that he's doing like 95% of the things right. I was screaming at Xavi the last few games saying, why are you dropping Araujo? Like, what is, like why, what is the logic behind this? And how can you go to Araujo and say, listen, I want Eric Garcia instead because you don't pass the ball well enough to Araujo. Now, if that's like, let me motivate Araujo to like up his game even more and have the system where everyone is held to the highest of standards, then that's okay. I was worried for a second, though, that Xavi wasn't realizing that Araujo, you know, it's true, maybe not the best passer. I don't think he's bad either, but he scores on corner kicks. He, like, he's very dangerous on set bases. You need him in the game for that. His physicality, his speed, the energy that he just gives off. Um, so after this game, I'm really happy that Xavi used him strategically, and I'm hoping that he'll help him with whatever game he wants him to do, part of his game to develop in, because to me, he's like, He's one of the most important players to have in the field for so many reasons. Let's talk about uh, Dembele on Nacho. How much fun was that to watch? Yeah, that was, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, such a versatile player. Uh, that's, I guess, the flip side of the coin. Like Nacho is a center back. They also had injuries going into this game. Mendy was injured. So Ancelotti needed a solution who to play as a left back. And he decided to go with Nacho. Probably decided to go with the Raujo. So just a, a really fascinating comparison, and it did not work. Um, I don't know like, what it is. Like Vinny is not exactly like Dembélé, but if you put Dembélé one on one with anybody, because of his like ambidextrous, like left or right, Nacho can't hang with that. 
Um, and in this case, Dembele, who usually loves cutting in on his left, I think he had in his mind, you know what, I'm going to take a, a page out of the Adama Traore playbook, and I'm just going to beat him with speed. Um, and that's what he did all day long. And Nacho wasn't getting um, coverage. And even Somehow David was... Alba, who like who came to help a lot, yeah. David Alba didn't even look like himself. It was very strange. I was hearing some people say, from an analysis point of view, it should have been a swap. Like Alba plays left fullback sometimes. If and that could have been, that would have been a much better solution. He would have been much better containing Dembele. But you know, these are these are the, those minute tactical decisions that are made, and it was a mistake. I think that's why Ancelotti said it was my mistake. But it goes to show you once again that. Everything starts with Dembele. A lot of, so much of the success, those moments that just turn a game, the last few months, you need people, you need players who can do brilliant things. And you watch that goal over and over again, the first one that was scored from the first touch to the dip of the shoulder to the cross. He is a very complete player and we really need to like enjoy him because he's a lot of fun to watch. And then start asking like interesting questions about the cost benefits of what could happen over the summer with his contract negotiations and whether he should stay or go. Yeah. Let's talk about Ferran Torres a little bit. So I think another match where uh, some of his shot attempts that you just know are eventually going to go in look beautiful again, but the, like the space he creates and when the ball at his feet, I, I always expect something close to goal is going to happen. Uh, what were your thoughts on Ferran Torres in this match? He's a player that's uh, grown in me a lot. I, I think I was pretty critical of him in the first month. Uh, just because, you know, brought him to be a goal scorer and wasn't doing it. Uh, but he's running me because you just see, like, he's, you can see, like what Chavi was saying, even when I couldn't see it early on, but he's a very smart player and he's a very hardworking player. He never stops moving. You, you have to really appreciate the value of someone uh, who, even if he needs to, like, practice or do better with his finishing touch, uh, he was good in this game as well because he combines extremely well with Pedri when Pedri drifts over has good chemistry with Jordi Alba. And I think he's good for, for Dembele or anyone else who, if, if Dembele is the playmaker going to get the assists, you need your other winger to be someone that can get in the box and be a target. And whatever is happening away from the ball, you, if you want to appreciate Frontores in this game or in any game, you have to watch what he's doing when he doesn't have the ball because that's when he's really special. And I think, you know, it's in the second half, I think he had like a wide open chance, like literally like it's a fast break right in front of goal. That's the bad of him. But then two minutes later, he puts away a goal and because he's in the right place at the right time. So solid performance. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the midfield matchup. Uh, that was something I think every El Clasico, I'm always excited to see Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric go up against Barcelona's midfield. I think up until this matchup, I always... Uh, thought and expected Real Madrid's midfields to dominate. I thought they were better until until this matchup, that is. Um, this was the first time where I was like, I feel like the way De Jong is playing, obviously the way Pedri is playing, that Barcelona's midfield can actually match up really well with this Real Madrid midfield, especially with Cruz's form recently, which continued in this match of just being incredibly poor. Casemiro looked a lot like Sergio Busquets in his lower moments this year. Uh, the midfield was won by Barcelona in this matchup. Why did that happen? Well, I think that you have Pedri, Frankie, and Busquets. You have three midfielders who are, talk about a 4-3-3, who know the rules perfectly. Um, Pedri's a great number 10. Busquets is kind of irreplaceable in the Barca system as number six. Tried some things that hasn't worked. And I've got to give credit to Frankie because I feel like not enough people are giving credit to Frankie. And what a box-to-box -box player. 
uh, these vertical runs that he's doing recently, just like these darting runs forward that create space in other areas. You know, it's just like, I think systematic, these three like midfielders are just, you could, if you want to teach someone like how a, like a traditional, like the rules in the, in the soccer midfield work, you can watch Barcelona right now and you'll just get like a, the greatest lesson because everything is, is working so well. Um, so I don't know. And you put in Gavi and you have another option. One thing's for sure of all the, like the questions Barcelona is going to have going forward, those midfielders are not really a question anymore. Like, the biggest question is what to do with Busquets in the future because he's getting older. Now that gets replaced. Uh, but a better system in place. And I think that Madrid played with like a weird diamond formation. So Modric technically was almost like a false nine. So just tactically, they got it wrong how to use their talented midfielders. Yeah, and I, just looking at the larger picture, so we have Sevilla when we come back from international break. Uh, we are currently three points off of Sevilla in second place, although we do have a match in hand. Um, if Barcelona win that, they will be nine points off the top of the table. Um, and, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but like there is there is a scenario where uh, Real Madrid fall on their faces and Barcelona are actually able to put some pressure on them. I, it's not likely. Um, Real Madrid staying in the Champions League, I think, helps that because they're going to be distracted by Chelsea for two matches, although Barcelona will also be in European competition. Um, it's not likely. Uh, are you allowing yourself to be at least like slightly like watching the table <laughs> a little bit? Like, are, are you letting it creep into your mind? Because I'm letting it creep into my mind a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think you have to. Um, the best way to look at anything, a good team is, is one game at a time anyways. And three games, it's, it's, it would be a, the craziest finish ever. But what's the reason you have to say I Liga right now is because, especially if you're a Barcelona fan, is because it puts even more pressure on Real Madrid. Barcelona has nothing to lose. Months ago, the question was, can we get a top four finish? And right now, the question, we're just enjoying an incredible display of entertaining, high-quality football that we haven't seen in a long time. So there's no pressure in Barcelona. But when everyone else is looking at Barcelona now and saying, all of a sudden, this is a great team, Madrid has pressure, and can they handle the pressure? And will Barcelona catch them? It's very unlikely, but it will be a whole lot of fun watching to see how close we can get. And just one game at a time, try to win them all. And at this point, I wouldn't put it past them. That's 100% right. Like, literally nothing to lose. And that's why um, it's just so much fun. Like there's, you're just playing with like house money at this point. And especially you're playing with house money in the Europa League. You're playing with house money in La Liga. And we get to just enjoy this. Like all this is, is confidence building for next year. Um, if you actually get La Liga close and it becomes a little more than just, you know, house money, it, it becomes like they could actually win the league. But uh, assuming it does not happen, like all you're doing is building confidence for the players you're going to bring in this summer, the changes that Xavi is going to make to continue to build on like, what has happened in the last three months has blown away everyone's expectations for what we thought Chaffee was going to do this year. Like this was just supposed to be, like you said, kind of a, a right the ship, a, you know, a squeak into the top four for next year, uh, best case scenario. And he's already done more than that. And we get to enjoy two more months of this. And that's thrilling. Yep. It's it, your point right there was really good. Every headline is, and Lewandowski wants to come to Barcelona and this other player wants to come to Barcelona and Rafinha is, def is desperate to come to Barcelona. So even if you don't get that that number one place in La Liga, everyone, all these players on the one hand want to come to Barcelona and they don't want to go to Real Madrid next season. So it's just a great PR campaign as well for all the possibilities that could happen this summer that could 
you know, make this team even stronger going into next season. Yeah. And talking about a player that, um, that might make the team stronger this year. Uh, so Fatih is a, reportedly on track to be back, you know, air quotes, you know, mid April. Um, do you have any thoughts for this other than just like, be careful with him. Don't bring him back unless he's like definitely ready to go. I think I trust the medical staff more that are in place right now. Um, but yeah, of course you don't, it would be great to see him down the stretch, get minutes off the bench. Uh, that would be great. You know, to give him a start, but not, you know, I don't want to see him going 90 minutes and it's not really worth it. But the one thing about Ansu Fati is he is still the future of this team until proven otherwise with injuries or anything else. Uh, it's still to me very doubtful that Dunwale will resign this summer. Uh, could happen. So next season, you know, this front three will have Aubameyang back, but it's it's going to be on Sufati who has that first pass of integrating himself back into the lineup as the first choice. You know, Memphis Depay probably not going to be back next year. Also, signs are pointing in that direction. So what I would like to see, even if it's not in a, the most prominent role, because let's face it, Chavi loves Dembele. It's very clear that he has all along thought the second he came in to manage this team that Dembele was his type of winger. So if he's not his winger next year, and if Ansu is the first choice with Ferran Torres or anyone else, you'd like to see some experimentation if it's possible with how that could work. And it'll help inform whatever decisions you make over the summer too, with whichever holes you end up having to fill. There's going to be some interesting decisions made over the summer. Based, and it's going to center around what happens with Dembele. So yeah, get ready for that. I mean, <laughs> just like, and I, if Dembele, assuming Dembele leaves, like I'm glad we're getting this flash of like what Barcelona could have had with him. Uh, well, and what they're getting to have with him for these few months, but like what, what the potential has been if, you know, putting him in the right system, giving him the right amount of confidence when he's healthy and treated well by the medical staff. Like what we're seeing is that potential and it's thrilling. Like it's what we all thought was there. We just like, we never saw it. And, um, it's going to be disappointing if he doesn't come back. Uh, I wouldn't blame him for not wanting to come back, but I hope Chavi does everything in his power to bring him back. I think Chavi has power, you know, especially now more than ever. So I would not, I wouldn't say it's not possible, especially if Barcelona continues this form until the end of the year. Uh, because I mean, just to, to what you're saying is it goes to show you you could have one of the best players in the world and. I, I'm a big Dembélé fan. I know that everyone says that. He goes either one way or the other with Cleveland. I think he's a great player. But even if you have a Messi or even if you have a Dembélé, look at Messi for three seasons at Barcelona, a spectacular individual player that probably could have been even better if a better system was built around him. And Xavi's building a system. And I think he knows exactly what he wants to do, which players he needs for that to happen. Uh, so I think he'll be very involved in whatever decisions are made with transfers and signings over the summer. And that's a good um, thing because I trust him at this point. A hundred percent. So before we talk a little bit about World Cup qualifying stuff, I wanted to ask you a question. I cannot remember who whose quote I, I'm recalling, but I saw online that yesterday that somebody was basically theorizing like Xavi wouldn't want Messi back at Barcelona. Like in his heart of hearts. Like he would never say it. Um but like in his heart of hearts he didn't think Xavi would want Messi to come in and sort of, you know, ruffle the feathers of what he's trying to build. Just in, and not mm -hmm. not so much as like a, you know, a malevolence against Messi, but Messi's a large presence. Um, is 
I, I guess I don't even know what I'm asking. Just like, what do you think when you consider that? I I do think that Chavi knows, I, I don't think he always knows exactly what he, he wants to do, but he's someone who's always thinking, you know, he's always strategizing. So it's not a personal emotional thing, even if he's friends with Messi. He really does, when he says, I put the club above everyone else and whatever's happening on the field and what we're producing, that's the most important thing. And my first question is, I'll just try to think like Javi, if Messi came back, where would he play? And now if you're a manager with Messi, which is like, except for Pep Guardiola, probably, he can play wherever and he's Messi, he'll do great things. You would say, okay, he'd probably play where Aubameyang is playing now, right? As like a false nine, because that's where he's been. But if he's a false nine, that creates other problems. Clearly, Dembele couldn't play then because, uh, you know, he's he needs a target like Aubameyang on the field. And then front, the whole thing just kind of falls apart in my mind. So if Messi were to resign, if anyone could find a way to make it work, I think Chavi is one of the few managers that could, but does it like raise an, uh, a challenge that we don't necessarily need right now? Possibly. So it's, I think it's a very complicated question because if you ask most fans in the club, they're going to want Messi here. And it's almost like you owe it to Messi if Messi wants to come back to give him a role or to have him come back and, and do what he can. But it's a super complicated question. And just what, but at the old end of the day, I think if you ask Xavi, he's, I don't think he was, he's worried about his friendship with Messi. I really think he's trying to just do his job as a, a manager to the best of his ability. Yeah. And I mean, it was even like two weeks ago, I was chatting with Emil uh, uh, Avanesian about this, about like, and I, I guess I didn't think about it too much. It was just like in my head, it was after PSG's loss to Real Madrid. I was just like, I, w- I was considering the possibility of Messi coming back. And I was like, wow, wouldn't it be fun to see Messi with this influx of talent if it didn't mess everything up? And I guess I didn't really think about the possibility that it could mess everything up. Like he'd be coming back to a team of guys that like grew up worshiping him and worshiped him before he left. And the concern is like, if anyone could make it work, like you said, at this point, I'm convinced Xavi probably could. Um, but the concern is that it becomes a, you know, players scared to do what they're told to do because we have to get messy touches mm. and that kind of thing. And that just like, like that would never be said, but subconsciously, like if Messi's 10 feet away from you, how could you not like, if you're Pedri, how, how, how could you not maybe like, I, I don't know, maybe this is overthinking it. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to another year where Messi's not there getting to see what Xavi can do uh, with a full off season free of, distractions in a full season in the Champions League in La Liga getting to see what he can do um is thrilling to me and I I I wouldn't say that Messi would stifle that but I think there's a chance it weirdly could and I don't want that to be the thing that stops Xavi from succeeding yeah I have to I agree with that I think what what this speaks to more than anything else is as good as things are right now which came because like let's face it, that winter transfer window was amazing. All the right decisions were made and it really gave Chavi what he needed and everything fell into place. But this summer, there's so many questions. So it's probably gonna be a lot of drama. It's gonna be fun, kind of, hopefully it's just like fascinating to watch. And then in the short term here though, it's amazing. You know, if you can just like live in the present, it's that this team is so fun to watch. It's like a total joy regardless of where they are in the table. And maybe it's just the football fan in me as opposed to like the Barca fan in me, but I'm just so grateful to be able to like show up and, and watch such high quality football. It starts with a manager who 
is, you know, really putting his all into thinking through every single game. What should the plan be? What should the line be? What do I want the, my players to be doing? And who just has so much passion. It's that passion and that tactical mind. You combine that together. It gives me like confidence that you'll be able to figure it out. But, you know, the summer is going to be really interesting because what we're seeing now, it's not going to be the same team next year. You just get a sense that uh, there's going to be a lot of questions need to be answered over the summer. Yeah, and, and to anyone who's made it this far on the podcast, we're not saying he's like we, we don't want Messi at Barcelona. We're just considering what that impact would make. Um, let's yeah. talk about World Cup qualifying. Uh, so I think the thing on at least most uh, Americans' mind is uh, USA Mexico's tonight. What hmm. are your expectations for the for the team? Well, I, I'm an American who has nothing to lose, so I'm going to say that I'm really just like not a huge fan of Greg Berhalter and what he's been doing. And I'm not feeling uh, you know, super confident going into this like window. And not because I think they're gonna get the job done. Mexico hasn't been playing great either. So I think, and as boring as it sounds, you'll probably see a tie tonight um, or Mexico will win. I think it'll be a very exciting game because any game in the Azteca between United States and Mexico is a fun game to watch, even if you're neutral. So I'm excited just for that. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, talk about like, being excited to watch great football. Neither one of these teams are playing great football at the moment, not Mexico, not the United States. And both of them are underachieving. You want to watch fun football, watch Canada. All right, I'll give it to you. Canada, you got the better team to watch right now. You're a lot more exciting than Mexico and the United States. But at this point, if you're an American um, or a Mexican, listen, you expect to be in the World Cup. And during this window, you got to get the get the job done. Um, is there anything else? I, I think the... For me, just like the Portugal, Italy stuff is obviously the most interesting. Um, is there anything besides that that you're keeping an eye on in the international break? Well, it's got to be the Portugal, Italy stuff. Um, one yeah. of those teams, teams not making it. Hey, let's face it, like got to be Turkey. And even North Macedonia was a solid team in the Euros last summer. So they got to get past those teams first. Um, and then what's happening in, in South America right now? It's like a, it's a pretty exciting like race between like the, the mm-hmm. last seed who can get in over there. And I always think the Conmobile is very it's so intense and uh, it's a very you know, hard region to qualify in. So uh, I think like Araujo and Uruguay, they might be have to, you know, be struggling to, for that, to get that final spot. I think Chile is in it, Peru is in it. So let's root for Araujo and hope he can qualify and make it into the World Cup as well. Yeah, like looking at the Campbell Bowl standings right now, Ecuador is in third, Uruguay is in fourth, fifth, Peru sixth chile and seven colombia i mean just thinking about like colombia or chile not making the world cup is pretty crazy even uruguay um, i don't know so what ecuador the- is doing up there this entire time is like i guess i have to study ecuador and how they qualified have, so easily. i have no idea like I, I i can't even if you ask me to name like one ecuadorian player i'm trying to look at their roster right now i don't know if i could i could not either gotta be honest yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I, I couldn't name any of these players. This is crazy. But yeah. But Uruguay, so is, good... Uruguay, but Uruguay is exciting. Araujo, Valverde. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, they have tons of interesting players. So I hope they make it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's all I got. This was a fantastic episode. Uh, usually heading into international breaks, we're sad, depressed. But this time, there's a lot to celebrate, a lot to look forward to uh, on and off the pitch for Barcelona. And uh, we hope you enjoy the international break, Nick. Thanks. You too.